0: Say goodbye
1: Shut up
2: Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Crew Shaken A Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming podcast Recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania In the United States of America I'm your host Tim and I am joined once again By Carlo and Lavelle How are you gentlemen?
1: Pretty good, pretty good
2: Awesome. Lots to talk about. A lot has been going on in the last couple of weeks. So episode 14 was recorded not too super long ago, but it does seem like a lot has happened since episode 14 was released. We'll take care of some housekeeping up here at the top of the show. Do follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash crewshaken. Pretty much limiting that to show release announcements, but you never know. Also on Instagram at crewshaken. We have a very nice community of folks over there who are doing a lot of gaming and chiming in on our Uh, gaming related shenanigans as well and also uh, feel free to leave us a review we are on stitcher and itunes and podcast addict and all of the other podcast platforms from what i understand the more reviews we get the more people see our show so do feel free to leave a review even if it's one star tell us what you hate if it's five stars tell us what you love as always, we'll kick it off with hobby progress. And as not to hog the microphone, Carlo, why don't you start us off with your hobby progress in the last couple of weeks? Games played, things built, things bought, etc., and so on.
0: So I did finally paint the Stormwolf. You sure uh, as heck I built did. It. Yeah, I built, I built it and I painted it in like 13 hours, probably. Awesome. <laughs> uh, within a 13-hour period, rather. So I think I got off of work one night, built it, got off work the other night, put the um, base coated it, and airbrushed it very quickly. So uh, it came out pretty good, though, I feel. I, I mean, you saw the picture.
2: Yeah, for a, for, a, for, for a rushed, for well, not a rushed job, but for a quick bit of work, it looks really, really good. What uh, new, did you use any new techniques on it or anything that you'd like to talk about?
0: I used the, like, I'm, you know, I'm, Pretty much a basic hobbyist, but I used a technique that one of the GW employees from our local store taught me, which is for the gemstones to just put like this, the lead belt or the Runefang steel underneath and then highlight it over with the spirit stone red. So I did that on there and it came out pretty good. I like the way they look. They have like a little kind of glistening effect underneath.
2: And on the base coat, it looked like you had some kind of, there's some modulation in the blue to black. It looks like there's some kind of a... Not battle damage, but there's some nice like shadows and highlights on it.
0: Yeah, so up until recently, I used to when I base coated stuff, I used to just like made sure I made sure that I sprayed the entire model. Um, But I learned that you can kind of have some like built-in shadowing if you just like spray from a couple angles and uh, leave the recesses and with the primed color uh, black. You know, so I I base coated with the fang with my airbrush. And then um, I took uh, Thunderhawk Blue, because I I don't really like the traditional Space Wolf colors with that light pastel blue. So I took Thunderhawk Blue, and I highlighted... I did some panel highlighting with the airbrush, and then I went over the top of it with uh, Fenrisian Gray, which is, like, the highest uh, highlight for the Space Wolf colors. And I just, like, did the highlights again on the panels over that, and it came out really good. I substituted, I guess it would be uh, Thunderhawk Blue for Rust Gray. And I like that little like turquoise color that it brings to the model. So it makes it, you know, my space wolves are a little bit darker uh, than you would see traditionally. So I did the uh, cockpit. I tried to draw like a reticle on it because, you know, you get that clear cockpit that you glue in after you're all done. So I used uh, some like watered down spirit stone red and tried to draw like a little cross shaped reticle on the front and it came out. Okay. Uh, It's not great, but it's kind of a fun little thing I wanted to do. I spent a little bit more time doing, like, the details in the vehicle. Normally, I would skip over all of that. uh, But I did go over and I did all the buttons in the cockpit and everything. I uh, dry brushed lead belter on all the metal parts, like the, the exhaust on the jets and everything. So normally, I would, again, I would, like, cover that. But Alex showed me a little trick where you just, like, dry brush over the black and it comes out really good. So going up to the tournament, I didn't have a lot of time. To get my Blood Claws ready. Because you know how I had like two. Like going in with the new bases. You know those new bases I did. The ice ones. I only had like 15 or 16 32 millimeter bases done. So I had to take the bases off of my Grey Hunters. And put them on my Blood Claws. And I didn't have enough Blood Claws actually. Because I don't normally play them. So well, my list by the way. I should go over it really quickly. Was
2: Well you, you didn't you didn't tell us about the tournament yet at all.
0: So I played a, at a tournament called Burke Spring Assault. Um, it's for a good cause and they do a bunch of raffles at the end so like every time you win a game you get 10 raffle tickets every time you lose you get 5 so it gives everybody like a pretty good chance to win something I I, I don't think I've ever seen somebody not walk out of there or something there's so many prizes that they raffle off and it goes from like a little uh, miniature like a single miniature that you might get to they had a $500 gift card prize to showcase games I think it was so it's pretty cool They had three tournaments going on. They had a 2,000 point 40k tournament. They had a a 1,000 doubles, and then they had a Age of Sigmar tournament. Um, I played in the 1,000 point narrative, uh, which they ran very well. There were some really interesting missions that I'll talk about. The change that they made from last year to this year, I think you remember, was we played four games at 1,000 points last year, right? So this year we played three. I thought four games was fine, but three was nice. You you didn't end up with a big headache at the end of the day. So my list going into it, uh, Space Wolves don't have a codex right now, so I took something that was a little bit more aggressive. And spoiler alert, didn't work out for me very well, but (laughs) you'll find out why in a second. So I took a battalion. You were limited in the narrative to take either one patrol detachment or one battalion detachment, and that's all you could take. So I took a battalion to get my five command points uh, because I used all the big FAQ uh, stuff that we got a couple weeks ago, so all those rules were in effect. So we got five command points for the battalion. Uh, plus the three that you get base for being battle forged. So I had a, a Wolf Lord on Thunder Wolf with a thunderhammer and a Storm Shield. I had a Rune Priest on a bike. I had three units of five Blood Claws. Two of them had Power Axes. I had a unit of Wolfen with three thunderhammer Storm Shields, one Axe and one uh, Leader with the Claws. And I had the Flyer. Uh, most of my games actually all three I had all 15 blood claws in the flyer and just pretty much brought them right across the field and unloaded them turn two so they could get in charge, like guaranteed charge uh, the wolfen ran up the field and then the rune uh, the priests and the wolf lord kind of stayed hidden the first turn so I didn't end up with only a flyer on the field because you know how you have an automatic loss if you only get the flyer on the field at the I think it's the beginning of your turn or something or the end of the round um, and I was expecting everybody to shoot at that flyer until it was dead. Unfortunately, nobody shot at that flyer ever. <laughs> so, <laughs> so
2: that's pretty was, funny. What happened? Yeah,
0: went, I don't know. It just went the complete opposite way I thought it was going to. I guess when you big bring like a big a points uh, like because that thing's almost like three hundred points, so it's like a really points heavy thing and such a. Uh, a a, a few amount of points on the board. Otherwise, people could just ignore it and go after everything else. And that's pretty much what happened every game. And the flyer, by the end of every game, the flyer was like the only thing left on the board. But
1: remember, the Space Force flyer is pretty powerful. And so sometimes when you don't have an answer to something, the best thing to do tactically is ignore it.
2: Yeah, we talked about a little bit about that last episode, too. So what what did you have the um, Stormfang loaded out with?
0: So I had it with... uh, two twin heavy bolters so that's 12 bolter shot heavy bolter shots two las cannons and then the hell frost uh destructor i think it's called what
2: does the hell frost destructor do
0: so it's got two firing modes it's got a focus fire heavy two strength eight ap minus four d6 damage and like if it like deals damage to something with a wound roll of a six it does a mortal wound you know so, oh, Hellfrost used to just take stuff off the board in Seventh Edition, but now it does some Mortal wound instead, which is fair. Um, it was really nice when it took stuff off the board; it was really funny, but uh, it was a little OP. So, <laughs> um, the other firing mode is—I think it's like two D three shots, strength six, AP minus one or two, and then uh, D three damage. I want to say or two damage. I have all my my indexes and everything are packed up because I just moved, so they're up in the uh, they're up in a box in the study right now. So I think I played BSA on Saturday. The next day I packed my entire apartment. And then the following day after that, I moved my entire apartment. Wow. You you
2: (laughs) packed up in a day. That's pretty good.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, Monica and I, it was just just like open to close. You know what I mean? I didn't end up, I thought I would be firing that gun in the dispersed mode, which is this heavy 2d3 shots more, but I always kind of, Oh, yeah. See, it's only one damage. It's AP. It's strength six, AP minus two, one damage. So it's good for taking out Marines and stuff like that. But it's kind of a weak gun in the disperse mode. So the focus mode is hitting at strength eight. The other thing is it's only 24 inches. So you really kind of get up close to shoot the thing. So the first game I went up against actually a listener, which is really cool. Cool. Uh, His name is Ben. He's playing Death Guard kind of did the same thing that I did where he painted it up we were talking after the game he was like yeah I painted all like a lot of the stuff up yesterday and it was funny it looked really good it was, um, he had the two uh, the plague burst crawlers he had two of the light drones that shoot the flamer I think it's like the strength user flamer that they have which is either hitting on strength 7 or strength 6 I can't remember and then uh, unit plague marines he had a demon prince that looked really cool he used one of the the Nurgle, what are those flies? The bloat flies or something? I forget what they're called. Are they forge world pieces? I think so. Jason uses them, some kind of fly. Well, he had the head from one of those flies and the wings, which was really cool on the Demon Prince. So my first game was against him. We and the way that BSA was run was very similar to how Joe ran his narrative campaign that we talked about a couple episodes ago, where you would have captains for both teams. So we had. Basically, Imperium versus Chaos, kind of a thing, or what you know, with Eldar sprinkled in there. We would have one captain pick a player and the mission, and then the other team would respond with a player and a map, like a board to play on. So they'd pick the board. So it's pretty cool. I chose kill points, and then Ben uh, elected to play against me and chose a map. We deployed Dawn of War. He had his stuff spread out across the back line, which was really good. Um, you know, being an assault army, that's a good counter to me. So I had to kind of spread my stuff out or just like focus on one thing and then worry about like running across the field to get to the next thing if that were the case. But what I did first turn was I drove, you know, I flew my flyer over, shot as much as I could into one of the playburst burst crawlers, brought it down to like three wounds or something, maybe five. I don't know. Those things are super resilient. It was like toughness eight, and then they have the in ball. It was like a five up in and a feel no pain. So uh, it was really hard to wound it with the Hellfrost weapon because it's only strength 8. The last cannons were pretty reliable when wounding, but sometimes you'd get the Involve saves in against them or, like, I'd roll low damage. I think if I had done it, again, I would have focused... I should have focused on the Marines first. I then turned around, and what I, what I did the first couple turns was I charged the Blood Claws in to tie up the tank so they couldn't shoot. But every time I charged in, he had Flamers on at least one of them. So they'd get three guys would die or two guys would die or something. So that was, that was a good game. I didn't get any, I don't think I killed a single thing in that game, which is pretty rough, but it, I had a lot of fun playing Ben. So yeah. And we had a good talk after we got some lunch and stuff. So it was a, <laughs> but it was a, it was a rough, uh, a rough total. When we looked at the points afterwards, I was like, Ooh, 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 that felt different while we were playing. <laughs> and then the wolf, in, the wolf, the wolf and didn't do much. I want to say that that game I used that uh, stratagem for the outflank, so they didn't come in until turn two, and which was a mistake. The way that army was constructed, I should have given him more things to choose to shoot at rather than not have the Wolfen on the ter- on the table turn one. You know what I mean?
2: Did you run into any issues with running your flyer on a four foot by four foot table, which is which I assume you were playing on?
0: Yeah, I had to go into hover a lot. Every every game I started it in the furthest most corner from whatever was going to be shooting at it, even though, like, everything was in range of it. So, and the Flyers, I mean, they're durable because they have the minus one to hit, but they only, they're they only T7. So pretty much everything, anything you're shooting at them that's worth shooting at them is going gonna, is gonna to wound them. It was hard. I mean, like, I'd shoot across the field and then have to go in hover, like, second or third turn, turn around. So the second game... I played against Nick's Trukari. I was doing very well. Like I should have played kill points that game because that game I was killing stuff left and right. But then at the end, we finished on the end of turn three, and I was like, I wasn't on any objective. I had like two objectives, and he had five because we played like a really cool mission. And it was called Daka Jet. So you start the. They gave you this uh, orc jet, the Daka Jet, in the corner of the four by four board. And then second turn, it crashes. So you roll, like, 3d6. It starts, like, 12 by 12 from the edge, I think. And then you, you roll 3d6. But wait, and that's,
1: the second turn, it always crashes?
0: Yeah. Could so the Jack crashes second turn. You roll 3d6, and it goes to a random direction, either left, right, or across from, from it. And then explodes, sends four pieces of shrapnel out, equidistant from it, in, like, a square and those four pieces are now objective markers as well as the DACA jet. And, and there's a knob pilot that pops out of it. And you have to, like, he's like the v, the VIP that you have to escort around. So, I don't know, Lavelle, if, I think there's a mission that Joe does is similar to this. Shuttle crash, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a really fun mission, but I ended up not consolidating on the objectives. well. I think I went first, and he had the bottom. So, by the end of the turn, I... He had he was able to like he did a really smart move and got his Cabalite Warriors out of their transports and like surrounded the knob after he had killed some of my guys off of it and then like had had flown all of his quick stuff on top of the objectives really quickly so it was a good uh, good way for him to end the game and Nick's a new player so it was really good to see him use that uh, strategy nice and then the third game I ended up going against Colin which actually like kind of fixed it so we'd play. I went over and talked to him, and I think I forget who chose the mission. And then the other one of us responded. I told my team, I was like, Yeah, I'm playing that dude. I had like a grudge match against him from last PSA, because he whooped me pretty bad. <laughs> uh, was he playing Blood Angels? He was playing uh, Iron Warriors. Oh, cool. So, and it, it was really cool because he used every secret servitor piece that he had gotten over the years. So nice. he used like the Hell Drake I gave him last year, and he used uh, Warpsmith that Alex painted for him this year, oh, and then nice. another piece. It was fun getting whooped by a model that I that I painted for him, definitely <laughs> two years in a row. Uh, <laughs> no, um, yeah, so I ended up losing that game again. Uh, it was really close, but I think at the end, his defiler, so he had killed everything except for my flyer, so I ended up uh, losing because I didn't have anything on the board. so but I had almost tabled them too. So it was really close at the end.
2: So what are your big takeaways from the day? What what would you have done differently overall with regards to your list?
0: I think with my list, I probably would have not taken the flyer for 1,000 points. Um, I think about 1,500, that would have been a solid choice. Um, But on a 4x4 table, like you said, it's really hard. As soon as you go into hover, you're getting assaulted and stuff. Or or people can just ignore it, like Lavelle said. It does put out a lot of firepower, though, and it's pretty durable. So I don't know. It's like, would I have instead... Like, at that, what would have taken its place? Like, a couple of Devastators, you know, or long fangs. So, at that point, are they... Like, those can get killed pretty easily compared to that and cost almost as much. Maybe I should have put the Wolfen in and the Transport and guaranteed their charges over the Blood Claws. Like, I don't think I'll ever bring Blood Claws again.
2: Doesn't sound like they did very much.
0: No, I mean, like, usually... Like, they have an orcish number of attacks. They get, like, one for charging. They get... One for the chainsword extra, and they have one base, so they get three attacks per guy. So a f- squad of five is hitting you 15 times. They put out a bunch of attacks and they're hitting on threes, but I only had the power axe on two of the guys. I feel like I should have brought some power fists instead of the axes, and then, or just not played them at all. I think, like, Grey Hunters would have been a better troop choice, or I should have tried Intercessors. I've never played them before, but...
2: Right, something something maybe fewer models, but a little bit stronger coming out of that flyer might have been a good idea. Or, like you said, to put the Wolfen in, in there to guarantee their charges, no matter where you drop them, for the most part.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I find Space Wolves to be really, really difficult at that point level. I, I listened to his list, and having played against, like, very Space Wolf players, you know, it, it, it had to be very difficult from the beginning. It had to be very difficult. I don't even think, uh, did you get any wins? No. Yeah, that would not have surprised me at all because, you know, I do believe when Space Wolves get their Codex, it's going to be really, really big. Really, really big. Um, They have a lot of powerful units, but those powerful units are so expensive that it's hard for you to really flesh out a really, really um, good army that has a lot of staying power. You know, that campaign that I had been going, I had been doing, we took a break. And that campaign, it was Necrons versus Space Wolves. And invariably, once you get it below a certain point curve, the Space Wolves had a hard time bouncing back.
0: Yeah, they really, you got to hit people hard immediately with them. Because they don't really have a lot of survivability right now, it feels like. Unless you just throw storm shields on everything. And then they're really expensive. The other thing, like I know a lot of the successful... Space Wolf players right now are using Bjorn and Axe and Shield Dreads, which is something I considered. Um, Bjorn is really good with Laz Cannons. He's like hits on a two, rerolls ones, uh, but with the Laz Cannon, he's hitting on threes, rerolling ones, just still pretty good if he moves.
2: But he's 200 some points, isn't he?
0: Yeah, but he's, he's a T8 character that just like he can't be shot at unless he's the closest thing. So he's just walking around wrecking stuff. That's, like, kind of not really my play style. So uh, I don't have, like, I have two of the shield dreads, but I don't have Bjorn. Um, I don't really use them that much. Uh, I might have to switch to that until the codex comes out, because it seems like a pretty worthwhile strategy to play.
2: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if the, if the stratagems that come with the codex doesn't help kind of give the cohesion that other armies have gotten from having their own stratagems. Some of those synergies will probably really pop
0: Some of the units need to be fixed, too. I feel like scouts are really bad right now for us because we have those elite scouts. They're not a troop choice for us. And they, rather than having infiltrate, they have outflank. So they come on either in your deployment zone now or second turn six inches from any board edge and nine inches away from enemy models. Like if if you have snipers, they're coming on and you want to bring them in outside of your deployment zone, they're coming on turn two and they're hitting on fours because it's a heavy weapon. Or if, like, you have shotguns. that I, That's, like, the one time they've done well for me. You, like, bring them on with the shotguns and, like, pop, into somebody's, pop somebody's face off with them. I don't know. I'm waiting for the, waiting for the codex.
2: Lavelle, how about you? How you progress since we last spoke? Okay. So, there
1: have been some purchases. I'm really going back and forth between my Custodes and my Necrons, but the Custodes are winning out. And I decided to, because, you know, I, I had a nice size force, and then I... Everything I was doing with that force was mix and matching what I had, and I wasn't purchasing anything else. I think I had 3,000 points, Mm -hmm. maybe 3,500, some number like that. But even when you say I have 3,500 points, that might not give you the tactical flexibility that you want. So I made the decision to purchase um, a third unit of jet bikes because I intend to kit this new unit out with um, the salvo launchers. My, my other ones have the hurricane bolters. And that is going to give me some flexibility in the unit. And I built all of these models. When I got into the, this custodians, I was really hype on the sword and the shield. And it's really, really good. But i found the, come across a, a combination where I only need one three plus invulnerable save in the unit. So I like a sword and a shield with two um, spears. And so I needed to buy another unit of that. But what I did was somebody on in the Burks Wargaming Club, he the basement war gamers, that's what they call called basement war, he actually sold me everything but the land Raider from his, uh, what is it called Towns of the Emperor box. Oh, wow, right. And that was exactly precisely what I need. I didn't really need another custod- uh, another uh, dreadnought, but you know what the hell? Why not have three?
2: Yeah, why not? So yeah.
1: so um, I have that, and I'm getting ready to start putting that together. And that should, be, that should fill my 2,000-point force that I'm kind of messing around with. Because what I did was in that 2,000-point, I added the Knight.
2: Oh, nice. Which one? Um, the Castigator. Great. Okay. I
1: really like the Castigator. It's the world Castigator. I like it because if it gets on you, it's got a lot of firepower, and it gets on you with that sword game over.
2: What, um, you, you mentioned on the bikes you're going to put one of them with, is it the Servo Launcher? Is that what it was called?
0: No,
1: Salvo Launcher. Salvo no.
2: Launcher. What, what is that? What, what, what's the stat line of a Salvo Launcher?
1: The salvo launcher. Give me a second to open that up. Let me just say, what I'm doing is I'm putting, I'm building because they come in sets of threes. I'm building a second shield captain on the bike with one, and giving him the salvo launcher. And with the other one, I'm building two units so I can have two regular jet bikes with the hurricane and one salvo launcher. The salvo launchers are really, really good for um, anti- I'm sorry, anti-tank. And you know, I, I normally have everything. Right here, but I have no idea why every and I'll explain why right now in my house, everything is coming up uh, custodes. I'm sorry, Necrons. I'll explain when we get a little bit later, I'll explain why everything's coming up. It will it will make sense. I, I guarantee you. And here we are. So first of all, the jet bikes, they have incredible movement, especially when they advance because, you know, they don't have to roll. They're already moving 14 inches, so they, they are eating up a lot of ground. Ooh. One of the things that I like about them is um, they give the ability to do the jet bikes. They're very devastating on the charge. The Salvo launcher has two modes. It is um, a heavy one, melt a missile, strength eight, minus four AP, D6 damaged, and you can reroll fell wound rolls of the target as a vehicle or Flak Burst Missiles, both 24 inches, which is a heavy D3, strength 7, minus 1 AP, and almost everything has a 3 damage in this. But the thing about it is it, you can reroll um, hit rolls against models with the fly ability, with the fly keyword, I should say. That's pretty nice. Yeah. So I figured I'd add one into the ones with my Hurricane Vultures because, you know, the Hurricane Vultures... They just put a lot, the Hurricane Bolts is rapid fire six, strength four. But the thing about them is these guys are hitting on twos. Getting, and if you've got a captain next to, to them, they can re-roll that one.
2: That's a lot of accuracy, yeah.
1: You know, they, they can mow down. I played a game against the, um, what was it, the Tyranids. And he had a lot of gaunts coming across the field. One unit of those guys really did a good job taking care of them, wiped them out. I'm fleshing out my Necron, I mean, my, my Adeptus Custodes Army. Now,
0: how much, look, well, If I can interrupt you for a sec, how much yeah, yeah. is a how, how much does the unit of those guys cost with the uh, Hurricane Bolters? Ask me
1: your question again,
0: Carlo. So, if you have a squad of three jet bikes with three Hurricane jet bolters,
1: right. right? Each each jet bike is um, eighty points. Each jet bike and the Hurricane Bolter is ten points. So, about two hundred and seventy points. Oh wow! And you know. They, they, they have that and they, they have a uh, high toughness because they're bikes and they have the inbound state of four plus.
0: They're T5 or six? They're T6. That's pretty nice.
1: So the unit jet bikes are coming in at 284. I, in each unit, I have, they all have the lances, but I have two hurricane bolters and a salvo launcher. You know, they can take care of infantry or they can take care of, you know, vehicles.
2: And what's the armor save? Two plus. It's a two-up. Jeez. And how many wounds? Almost everything in Custodius is to us.
1: Uh, four wounds. Strength five, toughness six, ballistic skill and weapon skill two plus, moving 14 inches, four attacks, leadership nine. And the interceptor lance has a strength plus one, so it's strength six, minus three AP. And D three damage, but you re roll fell wounds on the
2: turn it charges. Which is very fitting for the guardians of the Emperor. And
1: don't forget they have a four up involved. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm flesh I, I just I had uh, two units, but I didn't have them like I just went with hurricane bolters just to put shots down But now I got another unit so that I can build those out with um cyber launchers and disperse them in there. Yeah. So I'm gonna have one shield captain, one shield captain with hurricane bolters, and one shield captain with um, Salvo Launcher and be able to mix between the two. Now, I want to tell you this this other thing that I do. I've been putting this shield captain and the Terminator armor, uh-huh. okay? But I give him this relic called the Praetorian plate, Praetorian plate, and what it does is, and I, I played this three times and I've messed it up all three times, <laughs> and then I finally got it. So what it can do is, you name a character, At the beginning of the game, you name a character. Then after you name the character, he has the ability to, um, he has the ability to, I'm sorry, let me read it to you. When you set the bearer up, choose a friendly Imperium character. At the end of your opponent's charge phase, if there's an enemy model within one inch of that character, you can remove the bearer from the battlefield. If they are on the battlefield, And even if they were not on the battlefield, set them up within three inches of the character and with one inch of an enemy model. The bearer is not considered to have charge. So what happens is if you charge my captain, my first captain, I can bring this guy in from anywhere, including off the table. (laughs) That's what I didn't get and put him in combat with your model. So now your model has to decide because this guy is swinging on you. This guy is definitely swinging on you, and you got to decide if you're going to swing on the, your original charge target, which you have to, right? Yeah. But he has a Castellan axe, which is a plus strength plus three. His strength is uh, five, so it's a strength eight, um, minus two AP, D three damage, hitting on twos again. And remember, he's a he's a character, so he's re-rolling, um ones, and he has a two plus save, and you know. Um, his invulnerable save because of, you know, he's, a, he's he's got the armor. So he has a 5-plus invulnerable save, but because he's a Aegis of the Emperor, it'll go down to a 4-plus invulnerable save. So I've been really working on fleshing out that unit and that piece right there. Those two purchases right there gives me exactly what I need to really finish out, and I'll be ready with a 2,000-point Custodes Army. Now... This is the thing. This is going to come as a shock to you guys, but this Friday I am playing in another APOC game. This is a shock. This, yep. <laughs> yeah. So what? Why? This has got to be my fifth APOC game, and this is only June. I am playing um, Jake and Mike. Um, they have 7,000 points. They want to put 7,000 points of Taryn is on the table, uh-huh. and I, I got 7,000 points of uh, Necrons to show them the business. Now... This is what I've learned. I have been messing around with Necrons back and forth doing a bunch of different things, especially since the new codex come out, came out and I'm getting a really really good feel for the um the uh the different dynasties, the different um uh stratagems, all of that. And I'm I'm really really excited about this. I'm really excited about this. Um so that's why I, in my house right now I got Necrons all over the place. 7,000 points of action this
2: Friday. Right.
1: Jeez. 7,000 points of action. I'm, I'm taking an air wing. I'm taking a, a brigade. I'm taking an air wing, a brigade, an outrider, and a super heavy auxiliary detachment. So you're
2: going to have a lot of command points to play with?
1: Right. And, you know, I'm using a combination of Mephrit, um, which gives plus one within short range, and Saltec, which allows people to... Um, Move and, and not suffer from heavy weapons.
2: And you can you can use two dynasties as long as they're in different detachments, correct? Different, deta- different detachments, right. As you guys have taught Sweet. me. Sweet.
1: Okay, you guys already know I got the Forge Bane box set. So I gave away all of the. Uh, the the, the um, Forge
0: Bane box set? You mean 10 Forge Bane box sets? See, I only got one.
1: Oh, I, thought I didn't you got get a my bunch. second one yet.
0: All right. I thought you said okay. you had, like, three of them. <laughs> and you had, like, six of those knights, and we were going to run, like, 25 of those knights. A, I was thinking about that. Football. I was <laughs>
1: thinking about that. But I just found out that the, and when they release the knights, you're going to be able to buy two armagers and a um, in a box set.
2: Oh, that's nice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't need that anymore. Even though I do want – it's a really, really cost-effective way to get all of those Necrons. Yeah. And so even though I, I know I got Necrons, why do you need more? Because you can never have enough Necrons. What I'm going to do is I'm going to buy another box set, and I'm going to take those two units, put them together, and build a completely – because all of my – I have one big color scheme. Build a completely different color scheme for this elite army of Necrons. That's my strategy.
2: That sounds great. I look forward to seeing it. Hobby progress for me. It's been a good couple of weeks, guys. Um...
0: Yeah, we never ask you, Tim. We never go, hey, Tim, what are you doing? What are you doing?
2: I – where to begin? I built a second Contemptor Dreadnought for... That's going to be an Emperor's Children Dreadnought, which I'm eventually going to get into for uh, for Horse Heresy Gaming. Um, I just felt like building something the other day, so I put that guy together. I cut his legs off to make him move a little bit differently, to give him a little bit different pose.
0: Um, so How's he, he going to move if he has no legs? It's not going to be advanced? easy, but
2: it's going to be pretty. I guarantee you, it's going to be pretty. <laughs> um, uh, somebody asked me to paint the uh, Forge World Sicarian tank for them so i finished that up just a few days ago it's like it's like 20 pounds of resin it's not very big but it's just this solid chunk of resin really really cool model with those uh, like the last cannon turret thing on the top it looks really really cool it's a neat it's a neat yeah, you can
0: knock somebody out with one of those it's
2: very heavy like i have it in those um Uh, Those cardboard trays that you get like a case of soda or a case of cat food in, in my case. And you can't have it on the far side of the tray and pick it up. It bends the cardboard tray in half. It's that heavy, which is pretty cool. Somebody gave me an Orlock gang to paint for Necromunda as a uh, thank you for painting something for them. So I will... Build and paint an Orlock gang. Whether or not I'll, I'll play it in a game of Necromundo remains to be seen. The, the models are kind of cool. They have those great, uh, those kind of coat looking things on, um, which would be kind of fun to paint. And they all have kind of facial hair and like spiky uh, gray hair. They got beards and spiky hair and whatnot. So I'll, I'll have some fun with that. I did some shopping at my secret underground hobby bunker on the Jersey Shore. I bought some Imperial armor books from back in the day. I got the Taros book. I got the Anfelion Project book. And the Raid on Castoral Novum book, which is the Orcs book, the Tyranid book, and the Tau book for all the Forge World stuff. I'm a sucker for these Imperial armor books. I love the level of detail they go into all of these very specific battles in in these books. I love the art. Most of the art is uh, photoshopped. you know, like tweaked photographs of the actual models in these battle settings. So it looks like they're really there doing stuff. I'm, I'm just a sucker for that stuff. And just the level of detail in the writing is, is really pretty intense. You know, the rules, I can take or leave. I'm not really in it for the rules, obviously, because you can't use them in this edition anyway. But the... Uh, the, the the backstory to some of these battles and the uh, the illustrations of the heraldry on the models and everything, I like all that. So I was really pleased to pick up three more Imperial Armor books uh, at this at my secret underground game store. And also I picked up this really cool, <clears throat> it's a McCraggy's, McCrags Honor. It's a uh, graphic novel written by um Graham McNeil.
0: I like that pronunciation, McCraggy.
2: I've said it both ways. I'm going to go with McCrags. How do you guys say it?
0: Well, I'm saying it McCraggie from now on. That's what's happening.
2: I
1: thought it was McCrag.
0: I mean, it's probably McCrag, but McCraggie. Yeah. I mean, who, it sounds great.
2: Who, who, who would judge you? There's lots of ways to mispronounce uh, future yeah. language. Yeah. It's a starship battle in the Horus Heresy. It's uh, Wordbearers versus Ultramarines. Um, the art in the book is really interesting. It's by one of the guys that does the uh, Black Library novel covers. But it's all um, uh, kind of 3D rendered a lot of like CGI looking stuff in the frames of the graphic novel, so it's not traditional uh, comic book art in any sense. Some of it looks a little goofy to me because it is like some of it's kind of trying to be photoreal with some special effects around it and whatnot. But uh, but the story is cool. There's a neat section in the back on how they collaborated to make the book, and it turns out that it's a uh, this particular printing of it, which is in a beautiful um, black leather. Uh, hardback binding, was only available at a Black Library Weekender, I think. So you had to be there to actually buy it at uh, Warhammer World in uh, Nottingham, which is kind of cool. So I stumbled upon that and picked it up and read it. It's pretty neat. I also read, I'm almost done with it. i was trying to finish it for the podcast today. Path of Heaven, which is Horace Heresy novel number 30-something or other. Such a good book. Are you book.
0: on 30-something? Yeah. Are you reading them chronology? I
2: am reading them in order, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm sawing through them. Such a good story. White Scars, they pick up a Thousand Sons sorcerer at one point who's still loyal to the Emperor, which is a cool little character. They go up against Emperor's Children, and Mortarian comes in with some Death Guard, and there's this amazing depiction of uh, battles between the ships, you know, which is awesome. Like these naval battles in space. So cool. Gaming wise. I've had two games in the last week, both of which I was uh, subbing in a Predator for a third Vindicator so I could play around with the Linebreaker Bombardment stratagem for Space Marines, which reads like you have to have your Vindicators six inches apart within six inches of each other. You pick a point that's visible to all three of those la- of those Vindicators 24 inches away. So it's the same distance as their Demolisher cannon, right? It's 24 inch shot, essentially. Anything within three inches of that point that they can all see, 24 inches away, you roll a d6 for any unit. On a four up it suffers three d3 mortal wounds. You get a plus one if it's a unit of ten or more, you get a minus one if it's a character. But you're going for a four up and you get three d3 mortal wounds on whatever is within that ring of doom, right? Sounds really cool because this is the trick and this is why I was excited to try it. You can advance And use this because the only requirement is that you don't shoot the demolisher cannon in the shooting phase you're doing this instead of shooting the demolisher cannon so as written you can advance and use this stratagem you can use line breaker bombardment you can fall back out of combat and use line breaker bombardment because you're not shooting in the shooting phase right it sounds really good on paper practically i've used it in two games I was really I was considering going out and like I'm just gonna get a third Vindicator and paint it, you know? It's like a $62 model after tax. I was like, all right, I'll just do it. But I'm glad I'm testing it out because to have basically like this this big wall of models just to pull off this one trick, it worked once really well and it was cool when it worked. But I don't know if it's necessarily work worth buying a third vindicator and like bringing three vindicators to a match um so i tried this out in two different games Uh, both were at 1500 points i played uh, brian who had a really good mixed uh raven guard and uh, imperial guard army we played a game from the open war deck which was the first card we drew was for basically kill points based on power level at the end of the fifth battle round but then the trick uh to that game or the uh The twist. The twist, thank you. The twist to that game was that we draw a second objective card, and the second objective card was this one called the courier, where each of us designates a model the courier, and the first person to kill the enemy's courier wins the game. So we counted that as one victory point. He got that turn two. He killed my courier turn two. So I could only tie if I beat him on kill points at power level. But the catch is, the way it's written on the card, you get double kill points for vehicles. And I had a ton of vehicles in my list because I tried to take uh, this damn yeah. linebreaker bombardment, right? So he he won both objectives, courier and these kill points because he was getting double points for all my vehicles, which is a bummer. And then just yesterday I played uh, TJ's Blood Angels army at 1,500 points as well. We got the deadlock maelstrom mission, which is six five four three two one objective cards, but you don't get to turn one in and draw another one you're kind of stuck with what you got as you're going through the game i drew terrible cards they were all like defend objective cards on de- objectives i could never get to and defend um tj had a really great first two turns he scored i think it was 11 points on the first turn because he drew this like amazing set of five or six objective cards it was it was great he drew like the perfect cards so he won that one we did have a lot of fun uh, line breaker bombardment went off once successfully but i'm, I'm not sure if it's worth that investment in uh, time and money to paint and to build and paint the uh, third vindicator, and to you know, to pull off as one trick.
0: How many points is each vindicator?
2: A vindicator is 150 points.
0: Wow. Yeah. So it's 450 points. You could bring a knight at that point. That could.
2: Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's it's cool because you can do it. Oh, I got gotcha, you because I can fall out of combat and still use it, or I can advance and use it and get close to you and get in that 24-inch range. Right. There's some neat. There's some neat little trickery you can pull off with it, but it's only one command point, which is nice. So if you can keep all three Vindicators alive, you can try it like a bunch of times over the course of a game. But it's still not uh, it's not easy to pull off. It's 100, a Vindicator is 125 points as I had it built up. Yeah.
0: You're also not allowed to shoot when you do it, right? It's only if you haven't shot.
2: Yeah, this is in lieu of shooting on your during your turn,
0: yes. I mean, I don't think that's worth it. I mean, you're giving up... I mean it's really good for like t- like if you need to kill something, like absolutely need to kill one thing, it's really it's a really neat trick, but what's that plus 1 or minus 1? Is that to hit or the n- amount of wounds? That
2: is you know, that is like, that is whether or not the linebreaker bombardment hits its target. Yes.
0: Okay, so going against a character you're minus 1 to hit it's and minus that's something you you probably want like you're probably gunning for characters with that thing. Can you now since this is a stratagem, does it can you use it on not the closest... Like, can you use it on a character that's not uh, closer than...
2: Yes, you can. You, know, you, can so. you can use it on any point visible to all three Vindicators within 24 inches, yes.
0: See, that's what pretty much you need to be using it on every time, then. Right, that's, yeah,
2: that's the benefit. Yeah. So you need a 3-up to get characters, 5-up to get... Uh, or, I'm sorry, 5-up to get a character, 3-up to get a, a squad of 10 or more, and a 4-up for everything else on the table. Yeah, and it's three, 3d3 three mortal wounds.
0: So you need to roll a 5 on a character, so you're probably going to use a command point reroll, so it's costing you 2 with a 50% chance. I don't know how that math works out. <laughs>
2: did not prove to be super effective. Brian, Brian gave me a good piece of advice when I tried it the first time. He said, get 3 games in. In subbing in a different model before you buy the third model to really pull it off legit, you know, and I think that was good advice. I'll get one more game in with that Predator playing the part of the Vindicator just to see how it feels. But at this point, I'm 0 for two with this with this line breaker bombardment stratagem, kind of being like the fun thing that I'm going to try with this list. And it's not; it has not been all that much fun. So I'm leaning away from using it. That's
0: a shame because it sounds so cool. I was like super psyched about it.
2: Yeah, I wish uh, I wish I had better luck with it. Yeah,
1: but can I just tell you that's how everything is. You read it, and uh, when you read it, and you go through it in your head, you say this is great. That's why you can't play these games from your armchair. It's true. It <laughs> it's right. true. It's true. So ther- theoretically, I'm undefeated. <laughs> you got to get out. And one of the things that and I said this before, <laughs> you got to get out and play other players. Play outside of your meta. Play with pe- the people that you don't normally play with. That's the only way you're going to do
2: it. Let's talk about uh, new GW products. I'm actually more excited about these two new codices than usual. Death Watch and Harlequins just came out. I like the Death Watch a lot, always have. I like the story. I like this idea of multiple chapters sending. Uh, warriors into this kind of elite squad of Xenos hunting madmen these are really specialized Xenos killers in the Deathwatch I I'm looking forward to reading it I had intended on picking it up today on the way home from work uh but I did not I'll try to get it this week I'm looking forward to seeing how that shakes out and for the first time I'm going to say that I really like the uh the Deathwatch Intercessor Primaris models I'm not a Primaris guy but that those Deathwatch Intercessors look pretty amazing I'm I'm a, I'm a fan of that in the uh, Harlequins codex each of those masks—I like the idea of these Harlequin masks, you know, these different troops of uh, performers that can kill. Uh, so I'd actually like to get that book as well because there's a lot of neat stuff in there. That, uh,
1: I followed the Death Watch. I have a Death Watch squad that I thought I'd drop into my space marines, but I never used them because they were expensive. But I want to talk a little bit about the Harlequins codex. You know, online, I really follow the codexes as they're being planned. I, I, I watch a couple of guys. SEO Winner does a really good walkthrough. Of the codex, and I have to tell you, this codex is crazy. It is crazy what these people can do. It's just amazing. They're skittering across the board. They've got incredible, and vulnerable saves. You don't get to Overwatch them. They're wrecking you in close combat. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out what the hell. How? What? What? It's. It. it it's. I. I can't wait to play against one.
0: I saw them at the BSA um, pre Codex, and uh, they did really well. Mm. So with improvements, you know, I, the guy that was playing it was a beautifully painted army too. They won the Player's Choice, um, and uh, he ended up coming in third. So we had like a like both teams had like nine or ten people on them, and he came in third for points earned for his team. So. I mean, if you did that well with just the Index, I can imagine that the Codex Harlequins are going to be a force to be reckoned with. And if you know, we can base that on what we saw from the Jukari Codex.
2: Yeah. We'll take a quick break, and we'll come back with Section 2, Welcome Scouts, where we'll be talking about the Psychic Phase. Stay tuned.
1: Psychers suck. So 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 (laughs) say...
2: So here we are at the start of section two, Welcome Scouts, a section where we look at some real basic rules of the game in an aim to help new players and to reinforce the knowledge for those that have been playing the game for a good while. We're talking about the psychic vase. Lavelle, you just chimed in with psychers suck. <laughs> so say the custodians. What, what did a psycher ever do to you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Everything.
2: So, you know, both,
1: it, both of my, it's interesting, both of my preferred armies, my custodies and my, um, Necrons, they don't have any psychers. And they have very, very little, very limited defense against psychers. Now, when I had that army, when I'm playing custodies and I put in an Imperial Guard, uh, Astro Militarum, whatever, um, contingent, and I can get some psychic things going on. But you know, I still, and I can, you know, they always talk about this being able to farm command points. So all of that's really good, but I still feel that I get more bang for my buck if I do a dedicated um, custodies army, and I would never add those human flayed, uh, human there that would just attract the flayed ones, and, you know, then everything goes awry right
2: then. Let's dive into it. Um, let, let's go through the psychic phase. Um, in our document here, I have kind of five steps to it, uh, six steps really. Um, but the first part of the psychic phase actually begins before the game even starts when you're generating powers, right? So your your psychic abilities are generated before the game starts and you can generate these abilities after seeing your enemy's army list. So you can pick psychic abilities based on what you think you're going to need in this particular game, which I think is interesting and a cool way to plan ahead on the fly. It's a good way to almost like adjust your list right before you take to the table, which I think is cool. So, um, it's, it's wait,
1: related question, Tim, Hmm. can you do the same thing with relics? Yes. Yeah. I didn't, know that.
2: Yeah. Relics and uh, relics and warlord traits. Yeah. So this first one, generating powers, every librarian has Smite, which we'll talk about in a second. And you can pick powers from the other disciplines. Each discipline has about three powers in it, give or take. And depending upon how powerful the Psyker is, you can pick between one to three right now. I think is the most powerful uh, current Psyker you can get. So you can have up to four total Psychic abilities, that's including Smite. So you have at least two Psychic powers, maximum of four Psychic powers, depending upon how strong your Psyker is, right? but we're so we're we're in game now we're playing the shooting the moving the movement phase is over and we enter the psychic phase at this point you're going to pick a psyker that you have in your army and you're going to choose a power to cast you're going to pick a target, whether it be a friendly model or an enemy model, and you're going to try to, to successfully roll to get that psychic power off, right? Which is a 2d6 typically, and you're trying to get the minimum number listed on the psychic power. So you're trying to get a warp charge number that's listed on that power. It's usually 5, 6, 7, or 8, yeah. Now the downside to rolling 2d6 to get a psychic ability off is perils of the warp, right? If you, do, if you roll snake eyes or boxcars, that's two ones or two sixes. 6s, that's Psyker suffers d3 mortal wounds. If those mortal wounds kill the Psyker, then each unit within six inches of the Psyker suffers d3 mortal wounds, which I really like as a change from 7th edition where we had the Perils of the Warp table. I like the fact that this is just mortal wounds going around for this kind of, you know, psychic short circuit that happens if you roll ones, two ones, or two sixes. I do like that. So say you successfully get a psychic power off, your opponent, if there is a psyker within 24 inches, can roll to cancel out that power, can deny the witch, right? And that's any, you know, psyker within 24 inches can roll 2d6 to cancel out the power being attempted by rolling higher than the casting psyker's warp charge, which is important to, to note, because say, say you roll 2d6, you want to get smite off, you need a five, you roll a six, you leave that roll of six on the table, because now your opponent knows they need to roll a seven or better, seven or higher to cancel, to deny you that power. So it's always important to leave those dice, I think, on the table for that reason. So there's no, oh, it was a five, oh, it was a six, I got it off, oh, it was a seven, you know. So there's no no arguments there. And the last step is to resolve that power. If you do successfully cast a power, if you, do, if you are not successfully denied that power by an enemy's psyker, then you resolve that power. A
1: couple of questions. Yeah. Perils of the Warp. warp. You roll boxcars. Yeah. And the Psyker dies. Does the psychic power still go
0: off? It does not. Perils of the Warp. If the Psyker is slain by Perils of the Warp, the power they were attempting to manifest automatically fails. So you are right, Tim. If you roll a Warp charge of 12, essentially, and if it doesn't happen to kill you,
2: then yes, the power does go off okay. successfully. Yes. But if it kills you, no. Yes, if it kills you, then it automatically fails. Yeah.
1: The other thing is when when you're when you're going through your psychic phase, you have four psychers on the table. Can you bounce around from psyker to psycher, or does one psycher have to activate, cast all his powers, and then? Which it one says, is that?
0: So psychic sequence is step one: choose a psycher and a power. Step two, make a psychic test. So I guess you could probably jump around.
1: That really Uh, (laughs) sucks. I have some problems, and we're going to talk a little bit about this a little bit later on. I have some problems with people when they have a lot of psychers and they bounce around and they don't mark how many psychic powers this particular model has already done.
2: You bring up a good question of how do you track who has what in a way that's visible to both you and your opponent and who's already used what in a given psychic phase. Yes, you do have to kind of follow the bouncing ball to a very high degree there to be able to keep track. So,
1: Yeah, be- because, you know, this model is supposed to only be able to generate two psychic power. When they're saying this is going to do this, this is going to do this, wait, didn't he already cast two powers? Right. Oh, no, that was this one.
0: The only problem I have with this the way it's being played right now is perils of the warp is pretty easy to avoid because you can command reroll out of it so you roll two sixes you just command reroll I mean you have a one in six chance of it happening again but probably not um, I think they should change that I think they should just make it like, like you can't reroll these, your psychic tests on apparel's I think, because I, I, you never see it happen. Like, ha, have you ever seen Pearls of the Warp happen? And the person, I mean, unless you don't I, have I've any seen, command points left.
1: No, I, I've seen some people who were unlucky enough to have two pearls in the same psychic phase. Because they're throwing so many psychic dice. They have so many psychers on the table.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so they they pearl, and then they command roll, re-roll out. And then they pearl again. Well, you can't command re-roll again. You're still in the same phase. I feel like with the chart, the Pearls of the Warp was more devastating. It was a little bit more, it was trickier.
2: It was, because the because the Psyker could just automatically rear-roof from play on one result, you know. So there was it was potentially more damaging, but I do like the fact that we've talked about it before. One of the great things about the 8th edition is that there's less uh, tables to be referring back to, which is nice.
1: This is true. I think I'd like to have more susceptibility to Pearls of the Warp, but maybe any doubles... Not double ones and double six, but any doubles will give you one mortal wound. I think that it should be, its sh- you know, psychic power should not be a foregone
2: conclusion.
0: Because being a psyker in the novels is it's dangerous. You know, you're tapping into the warp.
2: So let's talk about Smite. This is often called the Smite Phase because every Psyker has this ability. We talked a little bit last episode about how this rule kind of changed with the big FAQ that came out in April. Smite is a Warp Charge 5, so you need to roll 5 or better to to pull this power off. And the closest visible enemy unit within 18 inches suffers 1d3 mortal wounds. 1d6 if the warp charge rolled is greater than 10. So you roll a 10, 11, or boxcars, 12.
0: Just 11 and no. 12. More than 10. Yeah. Greater, oh, than greater than 10. 10. Greater, than, right. sorry, yeah. greater
2: than 10. Yep. Yep. On a warp charge 11 or 12, you're getting 1d6 mortal wounds out of smites.
1: You got a narrow window there, because what you're really looking for is an 11.
2: Right. If right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. you get
1: the 12, you're going to fill it. Based on the um, the whole... Um, when um, a psyker has a plus to that roll, like some of the Thousand sons do, so if they roll a ten, it will count as an eleven, right? Correct. Okay.
2: And because, say you have four psychers on the board, right? It was in the big fact it states that you get a, it's a plus one warp charge requirement for each unit, each psyker that tries to pull this off, right? So you have three psychers that are trying to get uh, a smite off, right? The first one's a warp charge five, second one's warp charge six, the third one is warp charge seven, correct?
0: Correct. So originally, a lot of people were running like three or four things that could cast Smite, if not more um, in the competitive scene, and it was just too powerful. I mean, there are a lot of ways to defend against it. You run like screens and um, things that are cheap and that can take those mortal wounds and try and position yourself well, um, because it does have to be the closest unit. But, um, you know, people, people are pretty good at moving those psychers around and... Hitting their targets, so they had to nerf it a little bit.
2: It has to be closest and visible,
0: which is interesting.
2: So Carlo, with regards to the space wolves, talk a little bit about the space wolves psychic phase as it stands right now.
0: I think we have some pretty good middle of the road psychic abilities. Um we have Jaws of the World Wolf, which used to be amazing and now it's pretty good. Uh it's two D six so you you pick a unit within eighteen inches doesn't have to be visible I don't think it's just any any unit so you could target characters with this too and you roll two d six and then you take that number and subtract the target's movement so this is really good against like terminators right so you subtract their movement so say if it's a terminator it's a five um, and you rolled say you rolled like a seven you do the difference in mortal wounds so you would do two mortal wounds in that situation I think I wiped a squad of TAC Marines with using that and smite one time with null. I had, uh, I had rolled really high. I rolled a, it was like an 11 on the jaws and I rolled like an 11 on the smite as well. So I ended up doing five mortal wounds from the jaws and then I rolled a D six for smite. So it's, it's good in certain situations. It's really bad against jump, like jump pack Marines and vehicles and stuff like that. Cause they have high movement you pretty much can't use it against them but it's good against like Terminator characters it's really good against uh, uh, anything with like that's really slow Um, the other thing they have is an ability I think it's called stormcaller I want to say it's a six inch bubble around the psyker anything any space wolf unit within six inches has a benefit of cover that's cool so Mm -hmm. yeah so like things that normally wouldn't get cover non-infantry units and stuff like that can get cover and you can move stuff in like a big blob up the field and not have to worry about moving through cover which is really cool like so if you're running Thunder Cav and Wolfen and stuff like that you don't have to be particular about where you put them and the third psychic power is Tempest Wrath you target a unit within 18 inches and they have minus one all their hit rolls until the next psychic phase so uh, I used that over the weekend Uh, I was using it on those um Plague Burst Crawlers seem pretty good against them. You know, anything, try to hit something that ha- that is firing um, some high damage weapons at me, you know, or like really high volume. None of them are really amazing. Like I feel like Eldar, like Lavelle was saying, like the truly psychic um, armies like Eldar have a lot better stuff right now. So I'm interested to see what Space Wolf Codex gives us.
2: Lavelle, in response to the psychic phase, um, the Sisters of Silence which I know uh, you have some of those units, the Sisters of Silence, how do they work with regards to putting them up against an enemy's psyker?
1: They shut them down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Sisters of Silence can't be targeted by any psychic ability, period. So they're the closest unit, and you have an ability that says, um, you know, you're going to target the, sister, the closest unit, you're done. You can't do anything.
2: So they automatically, if you have them as the closest unit to a Psyker, they automatically basically turn off the ability to smite anything else in the army. That's right. Because they're the closest and visible.
1: In addition to that, they have the ability to um, modify your psychic roles. And that is compounded. So for every model, for every unit within 18 inches, you get a minus one to your role. And so I've been playing, I think, with three or four units. And so that kind of works it out. That, that takes care of a lot of stuff.
2: Is it a five-woman unit? Is that correct? Yes, that's the minimum side. The
0: five. Yeah. How many points is that for a five-woman unit?
1: Um, it's about 180. And they are pretty good. Um, their armor saves is as good as Space Marines. They are shooting bolters just like a, a tactical squad. and combat, and they got a flamer unit that's pretty good. And then in combat, they have the um, the great swords. If they can get the great, and they have a lot of attacks. They have each model has two attacks, and so, and the um, the leader, the sergeant, and the unit has um, three. So, and the great swords are doing d3 damage, and they're swinging and hitting pretty effectively. They're elite choice, yeah. And I can pack them in a rhino, they have their own rhino. The thing, and but that ability to cancel uh, psychic ability and do the minus one only works when they're not in the rhino,
0: okay. So, they don't have fly,
1: they don't have fly,
0: okay. I could have sworn that the sisters in the books had, like, weren't they flying around doing stuff?
2: That's the um, like, Sisters of Battle, yes. Yeah, okay, oh, yeah, yeah. The,
0: the Sisters of Silence weren't, like, flying around and, like, lobbing dudes' heads no. off? No, no? Okay. no,
2: they were always on the ground, bald-headed little okay. ladies, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, with yeah. the p- big ponytail on the top. Yep, yep the bingo, top yep. bingo.
2: Um, Lavelle, you just said, I interrupted you, you said they often get shot off the board. Why do you think that is? Because they're,
1: they're good targets of opportunity, they have to be in the front. Um, and I used to be upset about that because I need their psychic ability. But then you know, I keep in mind, if they're getting shot off the board, two things have already occurred. One, they pass their psychic their psychic turn because they're in the shooting phase. They pass their psychic phase. They're in the shooter phase. And two, every shot that they're putting into that unit is a shot that they're not putting into my main force. So what I did was I got my psychers in close. Com- I mean, my um, my custodes in close combat, and then I ran them up the field. And so my you can't smite into my close combat because these guys are there impacting you. And that minus that you know, that minus, you know, on, on you play it right, you got through, you can have two, maybe even three units within 18 inches. I shut down a brute lord like that in
2: a zone of throw. Does it affect friendly psychers as well? No.
1: So I like to have Grayfax behind them doing her thing too.
2: Do they have their own HQ choice? They do not, correct?
1: They do not. They only right at this point, they only have the elite, the three elite slots. And you can take all three in an elite slot, and they get the null maiden designation. And you don't need an HQ.
2: But you just don't get any command points for taking that unit for that That's detachment. Right. right. Okay. Somebody
1: cool. was saying, "Well, why would you do that? You're losing a command point." Yes, you are losing one command point, but what you're getting for that utility, just like with the um, when you do it with the assassins, you get that toolbox. Yeah. To do things with.
0: So, how many unit, you're running? Three units of them. Three That's... units,
1: and you know. They're really a turn two unit because I'll have one maybe sitting midfield or or in my backfield holding the objective for those late deep strikers that might come in. And then the other unit, two units, I'm putting in a rhino. I'm running up, charging the rhino up the field and then dispersing them and letting them fan out.
0: The only thing we forgot to mention that kind of confused me when 8th edition rolled out was that perils only happens when you roll double ones or double sixes not when your psychic test adds up to 12 or down to one from modifiers I know originally like I hadn't read the rule and committed it to memory perfectly so I was like oh okay anytime I roll a 12 with modifier I'm Thing, but no it's only when you roll doubles
2: gotcha it has to be two ones and two sixes good point yep good point good cool we'll take a short break we'll come back with section three tactical upload we're talking about expensive stratagems stay tuned we'll be right back Section 3, Tactical Upload. I came up with a really cool, slick title for this. Everybody will like this. Hey, Big Spender! Hey, Big Spender! Etc. and so on. (laughs) So, in this section, we're talking about the most expensive stratagems. I thought this would be cool because we all use a lot of, like, one-command-point stratagems, two-command-point stratagems, but very rarely, in my experience with the new Warhammer 8th edition, do I see somebody dropping three command points, on a particular stratagem, unless it's like chapter master at the beginning of the game. You know, like some of the get-go, the things you can do from the start of the game, people do pretty frequently, but very rarely does somebody like really like put all their dice on the table and say, here's three command points for, you know, whatever. So I thought it would be cool to talk about these uh, in, in light of that.
1: Can we talk about two things related to these expensive stratagems? The first is, you know, I don't always see a correlation between the expensive stratagems, and their impact in the game. The Necrons has this, have this uh, resurrection stratagem where you can bring a character back for one CP on a roll of four plus. And to me, that's a pretty powerful stratagem because it can deny Slay the Warlord. But the three CP stratagems don't always correlate to real impact in the game. So let's kind of pay a little attention to that as, as we move
2: forward. Let's do that. And some of these are new to me, so maybe at the end of this section, Lavelle, we can just kind of look back and maybe just talk about the maybe some of the game theory behind why these are three, a little bit, like what, you know, is, is it is are they underpowered for what you pay? That kind of thing. We'll have maybe a, like an umbrella discussion at the end of all this.
1: One other thing. Let's talk a little bit, and, and I get confused about this. There are some, um, some abilities and some relics that allow you to mine CPs. Yes. So when you spend the CPs, some say uh, the abilities you roll and you see if you get the CP back, does the amount of CPs that you spend dictate how many you could potentially get back? Everybody follow what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. Right.
2: That's a good question. And I think your experience with Astra Militarum might be the best way to kind of look into that, right? Because they have a, a number of models that can get CP back or cancel out the use of a CP on a roll.
1: Right. As far as I know, Car- Carla, what, what, what's your take on this?
0: First of all, I just want to know when you do that, like you have an ability like that, is it per CP or per stratagem that you roll for? So like if you spend three, P- three CP in one stratagem, are you rolling your die three times to see if you get each one of those back or are you rolling just for that one stratagem once?
1: So let's look at um, let's look at something on the Astro Militarium, Coral Sequilla. It's an officers-only strategy. Um, I'm sorry, relic. It's not a stratagem. It's a relic, and it says each time your opponent uses a stratagem, roll a d6. On a five plus, you gain one command point back. Everybody got that one?
0: Okay. So if you so
1: spend three, based on my reading of that, if you spend three CP, I roll one dice, and I'm only getting one CP back.
2: Yeah, because because you, your, your relic says roll a d6. I don't know five up, you get a command point.
1: Okay, so listen, Grand Strategist, which is a warlord trait for Astro Militarium, says, Whilst your warlord is alive, you can reroll a single war okay, blah blah blah. That's not really relevant. This is the one it is. In addition, if your army is battleforged and this warlord is on the battlefield, roll a dice for each command point spent when using stratagems. On a five plus that command point is immediately refunded.
2: Oh, so that's for each command each command point rolled. Yeah.
1: So on a three, three, one of these uh, three CP command point stratagems, you would roll 3d6 and any five would reduce the cost of that stratagem.
0: Yes, that's pretty cool. So,
1: yeah, so what, would you, what you have to do is when you're playing the game, you have to make sure you pay attention to both your opponent and your trait or uh, relic that's going to churn or, or bring back stratage, um CPs, to see what should be going on here. I watch a lot of Battle Report on YouTube and I I see people and I say, I don't think he did that right. So make sure you do that because, you know, when you use an expensive stratagem and you're going to be pumping out a lot of CPs, you need to know what's going to happen. You know, you get a three CP point stratagem and you can reduce that cost to two or one or even zero. That's a big
0: Mm -hmm. deal. Yeah. And uh, command points and stratagems are so crucial in eighth edition, I think. It's really important to efficiently use your stratagems and command points because it can really change the, the path the game takes.
1: There's some talk online, and I've been following it closely. Some people are saying they, we need to change the way that people get CPs to allow them access to more stratagems. There's some talk about based on the number of objectives you hold at the beginning of your turn and various things like that. It'll be interesting to see moving forward because CPs are a really big deal. And the stratagems really allow you to extend the ability of your army. So absolutely know your stratagems.
2: I like the idea, Lavelle, of having to put pressure on, if you say you have two uh, objectives and that would be worth two command points at the start of your next turn, I like how that puts pressure on the need to get those objectives, not just for scoring at the end of the game for victory points, but for actually being able to proceed with the next turn successfully.
0: It kind of makes sense towards like a a resource, like you're farming a resource, you know while you're playing the game kind of a thing, you know? I kind of like that. That's a good idea.
2: Well, let's dive into um, to these different factions and see how they handle these big, expensive uh, stratagems. Uh, these are all three command points. Some of them notch down to two, but they have an option for three. So uh, let, let's dive in. I'll start with the Tau, which, by the way, I'm becoming more and more interested in. I'm just going to put that out there. First one for the tau is focused fire. This is three command points. This is a tau sept stratagem that gives you plus one to wound against a unit that has already been wounded in this this turn by a tau sept unit. So that's plus a plus one to wound if you've already wounded that unit. And it's three command points. Next one is the orbital ion beam. This is also three command points. Commander has not moved or mantis-striked in the preceding movement phase. So that's the requirement. You pick two points on the battlefield, two D6 inches apart, and draw a line between them. Each unit in in that line suffers D3 mortal wounds on a 4-up for each unit. You're rolling a D3 for each unit on that line that can be from 2 to 12 inches apart. That's kind of cool. It's like an orbital bombardment kind of a thing. I like that for three command points.
1: I just want to add, I think that focus fire might be uh, stackable with something else in the, um, in the Tau, uh arsenal.
2: Yeah, true. So if you absolutely positively need it dead, you could stack that with something else to get plus two to wound on a unit that's already been wounded, which is, which is cool. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, if you're shooting at that, something that's hard to wound to, like a knight or a bane blade or something like that, it would be worth it.
2: That's true. Next up is the Necron. Lavelle, take it away. Blood rights.
0: It's
1: for 3 CP. Use this stratagem at the end of the fight phase. Select a Novak unit, which can immediately fight a second time. A couple of things about this that's interesting. This particular stratagem is exclusive to the Novak dynasty, um, which is really, really important in, in terms of how you can use it. But it can be really, really big depending on the unit. For example, if you get a unit of flayed ones and you got them in the Novak dynasty, I mean, 10 of those guys are churning out, I think, 30 or 40 attacks. <laughs> and, you know, wow. That could be really, really big. I do have a question about this. When would this fight take place? It says end of the fight phase. Oh, at the end of the fight phase. So after everything is resolved. I don't even know why I asked that I see that.
2: You've piled in. You've consolidated. That, that's kind of nice because then you could kind of consolidate into another uh, unit to target with a second f- fight, which is cool.
1: And then they couldn't fight back.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah, so can... that a unit of rates just kind of bouncing through more than more than one unit as as a target at a, on a turn is pretty powerful. Next up is Admac. I'll take this one. This is Zealous Congregation. I'm really getting... I'm, I'm getting re-excited about the Admech recently, too. I'm getting into their whole, more into their whole religiosity of it all. So this one, Zealous Congregation, it's three command points at the end of the fight, fight phase. Select an Electro-Priest unit from your army, and they can fight a second time this turn. So similar to Blood Rights in that regard. For three command points with Electro-Priests who do have a lot of attacks, that's another nice, um, nice stratagem worth, I think, for, uh, three command points, because that's, that's a, pretty, uh, a pretty good unit to have bouncing around.
1: If we can talk about the differences between Blood Rites and Zealous Congregation, Zealous Congregation gives you a specific unit, while Blood Rites gives you any unit that could possibly
2: fight. Right. So that one is specific to the Electro-Priests, which are an elite's choice for the Admech. Cool. Next up is Dark Angels.
1: Honor the chapter. For three command points, select the Blood Angels infantry or biker unit to fight for a second time at the end of the fight phase. That's one, and we're seeing a lot of um, additional fights being allowed with these three CPs. Another one, which is two to three command points, used after a unit of Deathwing Terminators deep strikes on the table. They immediately shoot as if it were the shooting phase. The three CP cost kicks in if the unit contains more than five models.
2: That one's Deathwing Assault, yeah. Terminators shooting as soon as they get under the table. That's pretty good. I like that. I like that too, but you have to take a six. Okay, so, so the, the, can the cost man is you take a five-man unit and it only costs you two. It only costs two. That's nice. Yeah,
0: they get to shoot twice basically that turn.
2: Yeah, once as the once when they get on the table and then once in the shooting phase. Yeah,
0: that's pretty so cool. During the
1: move, and that, that they don't necessarily have to choose the same target. Uh,
0: this is for Blood Angels, honor the chapter three CP. Select a Blood Angels infantry uh, or biker unit to fight for a second time at the end of the fight phase. So. This is actually really good for Blood Angels because they're an assault army. So
2: That's a lot of power
0: Definitely again, yeah. yeah.
1: Next is the Eldar, the Avatar Resurgent for three command points. I like the sound if of this av- one already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I'll take
2: it. I like it. If
1: the Avatar of Cain is slain in the fight phase, do not remove it as a casualty. Instead, roll a D6 after the unit that killed it has resolved all of its attacks. The Avatar then comes back to life with that many wounds remaining. Let's talk about this for a second. So, if the avatar of Cain is slain in the fight phase, let's say he got charged and he's killed, you roll a d6, and then it just remains where it is,
0: with that many wounds. That you
1: and roll. then it, and then it could it could attack back.
0: Um, comes back to life with that many wounds remaining. Um, see, I don't know because. If it died and it comes back to life, that's like one of those like raw things that I could see easily becomes a subject of debate. Because it doesn't yeah. say it moves. And so
1: the unit is still locked in combat. That, resurrect, that, that resurrection thing with the Necrons, you actually bring it back at the end of the fight phase as close to where it left. And so other units, if that was the only unit it was, it was engaged with, can move on can pow
2: in different directions, et cetera, et cetera. And this isn't a feel no pain where it's like you're shrugging off the wounds, you're you're dead, and then coming back to life.
0: Right, so then are you removed from combat when you die is the question.
2: Exactly, right. Right. So it's essentially like are you gone and then come back, so you do miss your opportunity to fight back? That's a good question. How would you guys play it? What's the rule of cool there?
0: I'd let him fight. Why not? Yeah. Let three fight. CP. That's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. If somebody, a good that's true. If it's true, you have to that wait and true. see if that's even worth it. You know what I mean? Is it worth three CP to bring that model back onto the table? If it's in your fight phase that he gets killed, then you bring it back on the table, and immediately your opponent takes his turn, falls back, and shoots him to death anyway. You know what I mean? So is it, you have to like kind of make that decision: Is it worth the three CP to bring this guy back to life and kill something in close combat this turn or am I fighting something important you know
1: true but if they're shooting at the avatar they're not shooting at something else
0: that's true
2: I guess the big another big question mark about this one is if you're if you decide to roll that d6 you know coming back with one wound is kind of a bummer
0: <laughs> oh yeah that would suck
2: <laughs> you know what I mean
0: you just yeah. and then you're spending <laughs> four like a fourth CP to re-roll that d6 <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Uh, is there anything in Eldar that can heal units? I can't remember.
1: I'm not 100% up on my Eldar.
0: Yeah, I haven't been playing them that much. I've been trying to do the Space Wolves, like dedicated, this edition. But okay, so let's move on to Harlequins. Uh, War Dancers, 3 CP. Use a stratagem after a Harlequin's unit has fought. They may pile in and fight again for a final time. Okay, so that's worded a little bit differently. So like they can fight what it seems like immediately. Because right? you're not waiting until the end of the fight phase for this one, but it says "Fight again for a final time." So I guess that stops their ability to use any sort of any use any other ability or stratagem to kind of fight after this one.
2: Tyranids are next. Tyranids have some cool ones. I like these adrenaline surge, three command points. So this is a at the end of the fight phase. A Tyranid unit that has already fought can fight again. So this is any Tyranid unit at the end of the fight phase. The next one, which is even cooler, is Spore Field. This is three command points as well. After both armies deploy, but before battle begins... Add up to two units of spore mines to your army as reinforcements and set them up anywhere on the battlefield more than 12 inches from enemy models. You do have to pay reinforcement points for this. By paying the reinforcement points, you have to add that to your army list cost, right? It's not like you're getting free models beyond the the point value that you agreed to with your opponents. But you're getting kind of a scout with these spore mines, which is pretty cool.
1: Has has anybody played Terranids lately?
2: I played Jake a number of months ago. But that was it. It It's been a while.
1: I've been playing Mike and Taranitz, and those Spore Mines, they are really, really problematic. Because they're dishing out um, mortal wounds. Yeah, and at first I was like, eh, just little Spore Mines. And I'm like, man, this is... I mean, because they was causing some problems with my custodes.
0: Isn't there something that launches Spore Mines? Yes, there is. So is it even worth using the stratagem if you could just shoot them with something else? Because three command points is a lot for something that now you also have to pay additional points for. So you're taking points out of your list. You know it, I mean?
1: Except for, for those three command points, because they can really get up in the battalion. Uh, uh, or is it the brigade? They can get in the higher, like the 12-point, the one that gets 12 CPs, really easily. And so you could save that slot instead of taking these guys that shoot the cannons, um, shoot the mines. You could save those points. So, I, you know, it could be...
2: You know. I also see this as being really situational because this—I guess the, the, the gem here is that you can put these twelve inches away from enemy models after both sides have deployed. So if the terrain is working in your—I mean, it's hard to know—but if the terrain is working in your favor, you can kind of put these spore mines in a really good position to prevent your opponent from uh, getting to an objective or getting too close to within charge distance of one of your units, etc. So situational, but I, I see this—this this could be this could be really tricky and really powerful. Yeah.
1: Let me ask this question. Use this use after both armies deploy, but before the battle begins. Does that mean you can use it after you know who the first player is? Correct. So you could use it after you realize you're not going first. Yep. Here's my next question. In any given phase, you cannot use a stratagem more than once and during match play. Is that correct? Correct. So could you potentially spend six command points?
0: Yes. Because it's before the battle begins. It's not a phase. There are a lot of other uh, stratagems that people do this with, too.
2: That hadn't occurred to me,
1: but that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you could put a line of, you know, hey, you can come on if you want. But if you don't move up, they're going to move towards you.
2: That's a really good way to put pressure on somebody. Yeah.
1: Let's talk about my favorite, the Astra Militarum.
2: There are a couple here
1: um, that I want to point out. But the first one I really like because it's really, really spiteful. Fire on my position. <laughs> right. So Fire on my position. Yes. For 3CP. Use when the last model is slain from an Astro Military unit equipped with a Voxcaster. Before removing it from the table, for each unit within 3 inches, on a 4+, plus, that unit suffers 1D3 mortal wounds. Specific units with a Voxcaster, not a model. So you use it when the unit dies, not when that specific model with the Voxcaster dies. If spe- There's several models all die together. You can choose which is the last to be removed from the table. I like it because, you know, a lot of times you get a unit and they'll swarm that unit. And the unit, you know, it has a Voxcaster. And I just picture the um, <laughs> the commander on the phone saying, fire, fire, fire on me.
0: He's like hiding behind a log. He's like... Right. <laughs> His last just words. It. Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: It, it's pretty good. I like that because it causes... You know, if you bring too many units to the fray, three inches isn't really big, but it can make a difference.
0: I'm, I'm imagining like Lieutenant Dan like calling in for that that <laughs> strike when before Forrest picks him up. Yeah. You know? To hell with it. <laughs> Another one
1: is Vortex missile. Use this stratagem when you do when you get to fire a death strike missile. You pay after rolling the eight, but before resolving the shot you can reroll all fail to hit rolls and add one to the roll made to determine if nearby units within six inches of the target unit are hit. So on a three plus rather than a four plus. If a model is wounded but not slain by the attack, roll an additional die. On a six, it suffers one D6 additional mortal wounds. If you're shooting from a parking lot at a single wound model, you won't trigger the stratagem's extra mortal wound. One of the things that about it's expensive this one at three C P but it's very specific. You have to have the Vortex missile. I don't play with the Vortex missile. Why why don't you take that? You know, because it's it's kind of a shot in the dark. Mm. I don't like there are a couple of other things. you, You know, you're you're waiting to try to use it. And in a couple of um I played in a couple of tournaments where my opponent had one and I knew I was gonna be like totally, totally screwed if he got it off.
0: You have and to so, wait till like, turn three to shoot it, don't you? Because it gets, right. like, a plus one to hit every turn that battle round that goes by. And so you can't, like—and it hits on an eight. So you have to wait until turn three, right? I
2: like this one only because it's compounding wounds. Like, you took a wound? Okay, here could be another one. I think I think that's kind of cool. It's, punishing. It, it's, it's bit of, is
0: punishing. It's kind of like a Hail Mary, like, kind of a thing where, like, if it goes off, it's freaking awesome. But the and chance you're not, of it off
1: is— Right, red. but you're not going to use it unless you have the Vortex Missiles— and unless you rolled the eight. Mm-hmm. Another one is Talaran ambush. It's this so it's specific to the Talaran units in the, in the army. Used during the deployment phase, you may set up to three Talaran units, only one of which can be a vehicle in ambush. At the end of your movement phase, you may deploy them within seven inches of the table edge and more than nine inches from an enemy unit they're treating as they're treated as having moved their maximum distance.
2: I like the, the I think the Talarn are, um, the, I think they're the desert fighters, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Next up chaos space Marines, the free fury of corn for three command points. This one is uh, bikers and infantry, the heretics. They can fight again. Um, which of course for, uh, for corn infantry is pretty good. They, uh, they have a lot of, they, they can really attack. Um, so this this is a good one. This this is this is flavorful for that army because you know they need more uh, blood for the blood god, skulls for the skulls throne. So
0: this is a good way for them to get them. So they can fight a third time. Yes, right. Well, so uh, berserkers like whenever they fight, they fight twice, right? So does this mean they can fight four times in a row, or does this mean they can fight three times?
2: I think this is they can fight three times.
0: Okay, I agree. Three, I think it's Excessive. <laughs> That's a lot. I don't of think anything would be around after. The third i don't think anybody's actually gotten to that point before where like they get to pass the third time they fight and anything's left alive to have that argument you know what i mean like right, oh, the fighting? right. So.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay so uh next is drukari so the first one we're going to talk about obviously is uh for the cabal of the black heart carlo that's
2: a specific drukari subfaction, right the cabal of the black heart
0: yes so there are so in drukari you have Uh, different cabals you have different cults the cabals are for the you know centralized around the Kavalei warriors cults are centralized around witches and then um, the uh, uh, covens are for the um, homunculi
2: you know what I'm not not afraid to say that I've never realized that the word cabal was in the name of the cabalite warriors. <laughs> I'm just I'm just realizing that for the first time. That's really good. Okay, sorry. Continue. <laughs> okay.
0: So for the uh, this is specifically for the cabal of black heart um, agents of x three cp use when your opponent spends command points for using a stratagem, but before it takes effect, you roll a d6, and on a one, nothing happens. But on a two to a five, the cp by your opponent used by your opponent is refunded, but the stratagem does not take effect and can't be used again this phase. And on a six, the CP's not refunded and the stratagem does not take effect and can't be used again this phase. And the stratagem cannot be used against a stratagem that is used before the battle or during deployment.
2: So this one really just like shuts down, totally shuts down somebody else's thing. That, that's really good.
0: Yeah. It's like a counter spell, kind of. Which is really sweet because like, you know, people... Leverage their armies around these stratagems, and if you can deny something really important at a crucial point in the game, then you could totally turn the battle around.
2: I like this one especially because it's not distance related. This is just anywhere on the battlefield. It's not like you have to have uh, your unit A has to be 18 inches from their unit B or whatever. This is anytime, anywhere, which that's pretty dope.
0: In the Drakari group on uh, Facebook, you see a lot of people. Like every day, someone will be like, "Oh, I vexed somebody today," and it'll be like, like who they vect and how they vect them." So I like it's that. It's like get vect. Get you know. Vexed. So it's really, uh, let me ask. A, let me it's ask
1: the question. Good. Let, let, let me talk about this for a second, and let me take you guys through a sequence. I have something that costs three command points. I spend the command point, okay, and then you spend the command point to use this now. Let's just say you, you're gonna roll first. You spend the three command points, you roll the two, the five, and the, it's refunded. Yep. Okay, but I've spent the command points. Can I roll to see if I get them back first?
0: Yeah, that's you, a good question. I wouldn't so know you, how to answer So I,
1: I spend three, and then I make my rolls. I, I guess if, we're, if it's my turn, I'm really gonna be resolving myself first. I make my roll, and hey, I roll three, six. I get all three back, and then you back me. And then what happens is you roll a three, So I get them refunded?
0: I mean, it does just say that the stratagem does not take effect. It doesn't say that it's completely canceled. So, yeah, I guess you have spent those points. You should be able to roll for them. You know? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's
2: an interesting
0: question. Yeah, you're putting dice on the table, so I don't see why not. There's another one, Cult of Strife. Uh, So that's going for Witch Cult's. Um, no method of death beyond our grasp. Use after a Cult of Strife unit destroys a unit in either the shooting or fight phase, if the latter, after consolidating. So if you're declaring multi-charges, make sure you pile in and consolidate properly before using this. And I like this one because
2: it's for shooting and or fight phase. Yeah,
0: yeah that's so pretty good. I'm trying to think of what... So like, um, You could use this for uh, like reavers or something, because they have blasters on the bikes that you could use these for you know so um yeah like just witches witches are disgusting right now they're really good so it turns them into orcs
1: (laughs) so theoretically using this stratagem um it would be expensive but you could shoot twice and fight twice with the same unit because each time you would use it, it would be in different phases.
2: Sure. Yeah, you could drop three command points in the oh. fight phase and then three command points in the shooting phase. Yeah.
0: I can't see a situation where I'd rather use this in the shooting phase than the fight phase for cult units. So, you know, maybe like the Reavers, but I can't think of really anything else. So, custodies.
1: there's a couple here that I want to mention. <clears throat> Stooping Dive, at the end of your opponent's charge phase... Pick a biker unit within 12 inches of an enemy model. It can charge as if it were your own charge phase. And if it makes the charge, it gets to fight first, even if the opponent charged with someone else. Now, I play with bikes. I love them. It's pricey, but I had to tell you, stooping dive I have used many, many times to uh, cause consternation on the other side of the table. <laughs> so, you know, you can declare a charge and I can... Like, let's say you start on the other side of the table. I can use it to charge a unit before they charge.
0: It's at the end so, of the charge phase, though, isn't it? Hold on. It's on uh... it,
1: it, yeah. You're right. You're right. At the end, yeah. of the, maybe I've been cheating again. <laughs> 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 I've been cheating again. You've got me again, Carlo. Oh, Carlo, you've done it again. Right, I've been... uh, Gadget! uh, uh, If you're listening to the podcast and I played you, I apologize. (laughs)
2: Sometimes (laughs) Crucet turns into Lavelle's uh, cheating confessional. (laughs) Right. Honestly. I've been stopped
1: kicking some charges and I will cease that immediately.
0: You're not alone, Lavelle. Not alone. (laughs) Every time I use the Wolfen outflank stratagem, I always forget that it's six inches from the board edge. So, like, I have to remember to catch myself with that because there were a couple of games recently where I've deep struck them. <laughs> it's not totally cool. <laughs> so. right.
1: The next one is Vexilla Teleport Homer. For 3 CP, the unit can deep strike within um, six inches of the Vexilla. Um, that's already on the board. So it has to be on the board before you start doing any of your deep striking. But they can do it as long as they are three inches away from an enemy. I mean, this is this is incredible. Um, it works, because no, you, you can find a way to get that vexilla in just about any Imperial army. It's just amazing. So for example, it's so one of the things that we talked about earlier. Um, you drop the 10-man Terminator squad within three inches of the enemy. You can then use that other... Um, the one that we mentioned earlier, the other stratagem, and shoot when they drop in and then charge another unit. It's really, really good. You can't use the stratagem on the same term that the, the Vexilla deep strikes. If it has terminator armor, which would allow it to do that, you can't do that and then bring another in, unit, enemy in within there. Um, and I like Eagle Eye combined with that, which increases the, uh, the Eagle Eye increases the uh, invulnerable save. So you can deep strike right then. People will try to pound into you. It's not going to help them at all. It's really, really good.
2: Have you you've used this one before in play?
1: I have used it before, but not in my straight custodies army. I, I'll use it to, um, I've used it in some APOC oh, games God. with mixed forces. I'll get my side.: in there. Can you do that with
0: Custodes? Absolutely. Need, oh my God, that's disgusting.
1: Because I want to talk about something else. There are some command, th- some, some stratagems that go one to three. And one of those is um, from um, for custodians from gold uh, it's, it's called from golden light. They come and it allows you to put a unit of bikers, dreadnoughts or infantry that would not normally be able to deep strike into deep strike. You follow that? Huh. So I could bring my bikes in. And in fact, my bikes can go past because they fly. I put them. They can go past your screening units and get at the unit that I want to get at the one to threes are important the other one to three that i want to talk about which is really something I, I i'm is really i want your guys opinion on it the one that allows you in every almost every army has it the one that allows you to take more relics which what you guys take on that because for one you can take one additional relic but for three you can take two additional relics
2: I have made up lists that use the two additional relics. Unfortunately, I've never actually done it in a game. I think it's I think depending upon your force and the relics, of course, it could be great. I just I have a problem with getting enough command points at the get-go to really to to make that viable.
0: A lot of people are in the competitive scene paying like what you call a guard tax now to get more CPs to do stuff like this. So they'll take a battalion of guard in their list just to get more command points. Mm.
1: I struggle with this because I have a custodian army and we're always strapped for for um, CPs. But there are two, three relics that are just incredible. The first is the one, Oryx Aquilus, which allows your, um, and yeah, I always give it to my um, my warlord, it, on a bike, my on a Darn Eagle bike. What it does is it allows him to get an additional point to his um, invulnerable save, and it allows him to re-roll charge rolls. Okay, that's great. But then I also like to give, them, give another character, the eagle eye, which gives them uh, an additional point, making them a three-point. But the other relic that's really, really good is an armor. I can't remember the name of the armor. And if you are using to terminate armor. What this armor does is, no matter where the model is, whether it's in reserve or whether it's um, on the table someplace else. You designate another character. If somebody charges that character, this armor automatically teleports there and can fight as if it's, it, it can fight in the fight phase. Those three things really I struggle with because you know the, the guy who has that, uh, the, the, the Alaris armor, he's gonna be swinging really hard. It's called the Praetorian plate, uh, Terminator models only. When you set the bearer up, choose a friendly Imperium character, At the end of your opponent's charge phase, if there's an enemy model within one inch of that character, you can remove the barrel from the battlefield if they're on the battlefield. And even if they are not on the battlefield, set them up within three inches of that character and within one inch of the enemy model. The bearer is not considered to have charge, but he can still fight. And so those are three really good relics. And, you know, a lot of times I'm struggling. I might, At best, I might have eight command points, but that would be really, really a great thing that doesn't normally happen. But in, in that case, I, I, I struggle and I find that that is three command points well spent because they'll keep impacting the game. And what I just read doesn't say once per turn, once per game. So if my guy goes on flies, the Dawn Eagle jet bike flies off someplace else.
2: Yeah, I like I like the multi relic idea. I guess part of my problem is too. If I have too many relics, I forget who has what, and I forget to use them in the course of a game. I had this problem in seventh edition with the uh, the relics that uh, AdMec could take. I always forget like which who had what.
1: So the only thing I wanted to point out those one slash three, the one three stratagems. Yeah, the one three stratagems you got to kind of pay attention of, to pay attention to, and determine is it worth those extra two command points and what their impact is going to be? And the relics is kind of something that you can keep
0: in the game. With uh, a lot of the one to threes are like those, you know, put an army and uh, put a unit in deep strike reserve or put two units in deep strike reserve or something like that. Mm-hmm. So they can be pretty useful depending on, like I when it started, I was putting, uh, I think it was with the webway strike stratagem or whatever it is for Eldar putting Wraith Guard with the Flamers and then the Warlock with Quicken so I can move the Wraith Guard up and shoot first turn, but they fact it so you can't do that anymore. But it was pretty fun.
1: Carlo talked about the um, the the Imperial Guard tax. So a couple of things that I'm seeing a lot of and it's a little risky and if your warlord is and it is a you know Imperial Guard commander, you can give him Corv's Aquila. Each time your opponent uses a stratagem on a a five plus, you uh, regain a command point and you can give him grand strategist, which says roll a dice for each command point spent when using stratagems on a five plus that command point is immediately refunded. This guy is really, really churning out. Um, He's really mining a lot of uh, CPs. And so, when you what you're seeing when you see people starting that that farming techniques, I mean, I, I, my problem when I tried to think about it, if I would be putting them with my custodies, and I just would not make anything but a shield captain on a dawn eagle jet bike, my my uh, warlord.
2: We will take a quick break and come back and wrap up the episode. Stay tuned. That's it, folks. We've come to the end of episode 15. We hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, Do forgive the lapse in getting this on air. There was a two-week span between us recording the first two sections and the last two sections because of some life issues that came up and some travel time we had to build into our schedule. But we're happy to have finished it for you, and I hope you enjoy what you have heard. Before we wrap it up, though, I have to say something. I have to speculate, which I don't like to do. But I, I, I was reading in one of the Horace Heresy novels... I forget which one it was now, so this is actually going to be a terrible story, but I'm going to roll with it anyway, right? (laughs) It never occurred to me, right, that the Astra Telepathica have ships that look like no other ships in the Imperium. They have their own infantry slash guardians that kind of take these big houses of navigators, that defend these big navigator houses. They basically have their own kind of sub-world in the 40K universe and by world I don't mean planets, planet necessarily, but their own kind of look and feel and their own kind of feudal hierarchy amongst these navigator houses that it occurred to me is super interesting. And to my knowledge, and I've read a ton of these books, hasn't really been fully realized. Hasn't been. It's kind of like the Admech used to be, right? They're this kind of shadowy force that's central to everything, but hasn't really been explored, hasn't been really put under the spotlight appropriately, right? So I'm going to speculate that at some point in the future, this might be way down the line, so stay tuned, we would see an Astra Telepathica army. A Psyker-heavy, supermobile mobile. Maybe not good in close combat, maybe some weird uh, shooty weapons, but there's, I think there's so much vibe and story that has yet to be kind of mined from the Astro Telepathica and these Navigator Houses that that could happen. So I'm going to speculate, and if it happens, I'm going to feel good, because I think this could be really cool and look really cool. The fact that they look and kind of feel very different from other members of the Imperium I think is, is, is good grist for the creative mill, and I'm sure... Uh, I'm sure we'll see something along those lines in the future.
1: After this, this next wave comes out. Um, technically, they're done. But it's hard to believe at the pace that they've been putting things out that they're going to really be done. Um, and what comes up next is a really, really good question. I mean, they we already know there's going to be a Sisters of Battle book, which is supposed to come out that? next.
0: Just because they said there's going to be plastic sisters models doesn't mean there's going to be a Sisters codex. It could just mean they're they're gonna make like a couple sisters models and therm and like a like a box a box game or something you know. Whoever
1: said that you should hit them in the head with a dice? <laughs> <laughs>
0: right.
1: I would, I would be surprised.
2: Life... I would be surprised if it wasn't a proper Codex release. Well, we might. So
1: it's interesting. The sisters are technically part of the Astrum Ministorum, but the way they—I mean—the fact that they gave us an entire custodies book um it, it's telling us something i don't think the sisters of silence or the assassins will get their own book although that would be way cool mm-hmm. um because they gave them that spot no the no maidens and the um the, they gave them that that spot um so that you can use them as the vanguard detachments right i believe That we, you know, they're going to surprise us because remember Custody still surprised the heck out of all of us.
2: Yeah.
1: I believe that they're going to surprise us. They're talking about a lot of things. They're on the uh, Games Workshop is on a really, really good track. And I'm really, really excited to see what they announce after they finish these three things.
2: Um, in other news, uh, we had a very nice exchange with a listener uh, via the Facebook. Um, Carlo fielded this one. Um, uh, this listener had, uh, you know, a fan of the show, so we thank them for listening, um, had asked us to publish where we get our information from, where are we mining on the interwebs to find our uh, or copy uh, regarding law and lore and strategy, etc. Um, so it's from a number of sources. Uh, sometimes it is directly from codexes and indexes. Uh, sometimes it is from the GW or Black Library websites. Sometimes it is from uh, websites like 1B4chan or... Uh, lexicanum, or there's another one that always crashes my computer called um, Warhammer 40k by Wikia. For some reason that website always crashes me. Um, but it's really from a number of different sources, and then we kind of compile it all together into a shared Word document, add our own thoughts to it, you know, cut and paste a bit, add some stuff for extra flavor and sauce, and then obviously dress it up uh, in the crew style as we are recording the episode. But in the future, I will note at the beginning of each of those sections where we are pulling Data from other sources where we are getting that data, sort of a bibliography for each episode. So if you as listeners want to do some more looking into the topics we're discussing, you will have those resources at your disposal. And we may, go, uh, we may go as far as to even include that stuff in the show notes or in the show launch announcement that we put on Facebook or build it into the comments about that episode that you can get from your podcast playing platform. In other news, we are starting a giveaway contest, a giveaway sweepstakes, we are giving away a box of Armager Helvern models. How can you win this box of models? It's a great question. This is how you do it. Leave us a review on iTunes. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Follow us on Instagram at crewshaken. This episode is coming out in the middle of June 2018. At the middle of July 2018, we will put everyone who has given us a review on iTunes. We will add everyone who has liked us on Facebook and followed our page. And we will add in everyone that has followed us on Instagram. Put those names into a randomizer. We will pick one lucky winner and we will send them a box of the Armager Helverns. This is our way of saying thank you to the folks that have been so kind as to comment and review our stuff so far. We really appreciate your listenership, and we hope that you continue to follow along. Now, the reviews, of course, on iTunes can be can be one stars. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Give us five stars. Tell us what we're doing right. Give us three stars. Tell us what we could be doing better. We'd love to hear from you, regardless of the number of stars. So for Crushake, and thank you for listening to episode 15. I have been Tim.
0: I'm Laval, And I've been Carlo.
2: We'll see you next time.